The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, I love it in Flint. You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? You're lucky team, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state, and national politics and the real issues that really matter. You too can be part of Armchair Politics. Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of uh, Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes, on the left, Flint's uh, premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Good morning, Paul. Good morning. Good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, good morning. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Morning, Henry. Now, I, I'm expecting uh, a third chair who hasn't called in yet, but hopefully he'll uh, join us shortly. Former high-ranking government official in two presidential administrations, Mark Everson. And uh, I, I really am expecting to hear from him. He called me yesterday and uh, confirmed that he would be here. 
and uh, he was very interested in participating in the uh, conversation today, um, partly to talk about Afghanistan because he spent some time in the region. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Dr. Well, I, I was I was glad to be able to make it today too. Too, our power went out last night, including the phone, and didn't come on come back on until four o'clock this morning. So I'm lucky to have the phone this morning. Well, and and given some of the interruptions around the country, who knows? Uh, That's right. But, That's right. But hopefully he'll uh, he'll join us. In the meantime. We'll uh, begin, as we always do, with some quotes, including uh, the finish the quote. This is where I ask you, how would you finish this quote? Honor is not what? Hmm. It's certain or difficult to achieve. Yeah. I was going to say, honor is not transferable or something like that. I don't know. But here's, here's the original quote, and, and I think you'll be surprised at who said it. Honor is not the exclusive property of any political party. Ah, ah good one. Hmm. Yeah, who said that? I, I hear the wheels Dirksen. turning, Paul. Dirksen. Yeah, I'm trying to think of who could have... Uh, Dirksen? That's a great guess, but it was, in fact, Herbert Hoover. Oh, okay. Well, that's interesting. <laughs> I, I told you I thought you'd be surprised at who yeah. uh, who coined yeah. that uh, that phrase. Um, but here's one that's uh, a little closer to home. Chief Craig is not in the race. Let's be honest. I'm an announced candidate. Uh, oh, Whitmer. Whitmer. No, Captain oh, Brown. Oh, no. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Who was it? Hey, hang on. I think we've got... Uh, Mark Everson calling in. Good. Stand by. And we have uh, Mark Everson joining the roundtable now. Good morning, Mark. Good, good morning. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, Mark. How are you guys doing? Good. Uh, we're good. Now we're better since you uh, joined us. Well, well, no, I don't always get that reception, so I'm pleased. <laughs> I'll accept it. Um, well, the the uh, the quote we were talking about, Chief Craig is not in the race. Let's be honest. I'm an announced candidate. Came from Captain Mike Brown, 56, who was commander of the MSP or Michigan State Police's uh, Southwest Michigan District. He told the Free Press on Friday he sees a crisis of leadership in the administration of Democratic Governor Gretchen Whitmer in areas including the handling of the pandemic, public safety, jobs, and school closures. He is seeking the Republican nomination to challenge uh, Governor Gretchen Whitmer in the 2022 election. Did the Republican primary for Michigan governor just get more interesting? Yes. Mm, a little bit. Although, I, I, I think it did. But uh, don't you think that Craig has still got the inside track? At least as things stand right now? Well, if you go by the, <laughs> the recent poll that showed him and uh, Gretchen Whitmer neck and neck. but Yeah, that was quite surprising. But this far out, he's not even announced true, yet. True. He, he isn't the designated nominee at this point. And at this point, I think the people that were being polled are just so not interested, they just went half and half. <laughs> but I, I think Brown brings uh, certainty and energy and enthusiasm and hope. It invigorates a lot of people, get them involved. 
but have that conversation across the Republican boundary to create some will. And he, to too, try. represents law enforcement. Yeah. Yes. Because what's really kind of interesting, you've got two law enforcement officials running for governor and as Republicans this time. Um, that is kind of an interesting uh Interesting. Uh, well, well, element. the police have had a guys. To tell you the truth, uh, police departments throughout the nation have had a bad, have had a bad year and a half, and well, uh, this I, gives rise to, and people are jumping ship and they're joining uh, a return of order by policemen, legitimate, welcome, well, um, authored. Good policemen. You know, I think in places like Flint, I think the law and order issue is going to sell well. I mean, as we see the rising crime right here in Flint, I think that uh, that may be a, a significant campaign issue in 2022. Yes. So I'm, I'm pleased to see the enthusiasm among Republicans. We don't want to see them die on the vine. <laughs> okay, well, let's let's talk about this next one. Uh, again, a little close to home. I have recommended that if a mask mandate were in place and it were followed, it would likely decrease the spread of COVID-19. Gretchen Whitmer. Mm, Caldoun, the, the it medical, was. Uh, it was, Paul. Dr. Joan A. Caldoun, the chief medical executive for the state health department in Michigan during a news conference. Okay. The state's top doctor said Wednesday she has advised Governor Gretchen Whitmer that a mask mandate for K-12 through schools would help keep children safe when they return to classrooms this fall. But Whitmer and state health department director Elizabeth Hertel have yet to take action on that recommendation. Whitmer spokesman uh, Bobby Letty said the state is urging local school districts to create their own mask requirements. Despite Caldoun's recommendation, Letty confirmed the governor is still not considering a statewide mask mandate for schools. Is the governor's political will to follow the science, uh, quote-unquote, fading? Mm. No, no, you know, I, I, I don't think, think that Dr. Calhoun has the evidence that uh, that her position on mask is a correct one. There's no evidence out there, no studies that say that this is um, a solution to that problem in schools where kids are closely um, congregated in confined space. No, no, I was, was going to say, I think the, the governor's probably following more of the, the politics than the science. Yeah, I, that might be. She's taken yeah. so much flack in the past when she's yes. issued these mandates. That I feel she's, a, you know, on one hand, she doesn't want to take the flack, and on the other hand, I'm not sure that even if she did, whether or not she'd get so much backlash from local officials, it would make that much difference. It may be just as effective to have local folks doing it and and even then, trying to get people to obey is, is, is difficult. You saw yeah. the same backlash here in Genesee County where they they had a mandate, and then they had a protest against it in the, in the county building. Uh, so I, uh, try, issuing a mandate is one thing. Trying to enforce it is something else. And as I said last week we were on the show, I said that this fight will be won on school board property by the people. There are parents who are who are really dedicated to the proposition that kids ought to be in class. There are others says no, and that is going to be the battleground. You know, Henry, I've heard some uh, on that point. I've heard some backlash though from school board officials 
saying that, you know, we're, we're here to be education officials. We're not medical experts, and we don't know. You yeah. know in other words, they, they see themselves as putting in the, putting a, being put on the firing line, yes. and they're going to take the heat whenever, if they issue a mandate, yes. Yes. the local public as well, rather than the governor. So it I, is. I, you know, I, so, I understand the, the, the reaction there. Mark, how are things working in the South where, pandemic, <clears throat> where uh, COVID cases seem to be on the rise, if you believe all of the, the media coverage? Is it different from county to county, district to district, the way people are reacting? We generally hear nationally from governors. Well... Let me go through this. It'll take a minute or two, but because uh, things are happening here. As you know, I live down in Mississippi on the coast, and um, Mississippi has now passed Massachusetts, and we have the third highest mortality rate. That means deaths per million people is the way it's sort of mm. generally measured through the pandemic, and we will ultimately become number one, I think. We'll, we'll probably go by New York, which is number two, fairly soon, and then New Jersey has the highest fatality rate. But it's been the states up in the Northeast where they, you know, they largely mismanaged this at the start of the pandemic. Um, last year, in my school district, my son's school district, which has 19 schools, uh, they didn't go out of session once, not once, exceptions being for the storms. Uh, this year, of the 19 schools right now, uh, three of them are, are, are down and going virtual. Oliver's school, which is a middle school, went virtual this morning. So things have really deteriorated here with the Delta variant, which is being passed uh, very, very much uh, rapidly and, and affecting people, uh, you know, and killing people, really quite a bit. The thing that I would say about the mask mandate, it's, I think the mask mandate is fading as an issue compared to the vaccination question. And we have a very low vaccination rate. Um, as you may know, we're like only ahead of Alabama in terms of vaccination rate. But the only way to beat this isn't with the mask, frankly. And so I do think it's a big deal that the Pfizer uh, shot has been given the final approval uh, by the FDA because, frankly, a lot of people down here were saying, well, I'm just going to wait and see what happens. But I'm encouraged uh, because I, I bump into people. There's a woman I know casually. You know, she's why she's she, she's obviously got some real financial challenges because she works, she works at the Lowe's as a cashier and at the local grocery store. Lovely woman. And, and, um, She's African-American. The African-Americans haven't gotten vaccinated. And then the Trump people haven't gotten vaccinated. The African-Americans have been afraid. And the Trump people have been defiant. Uh, and and uh, I saw her the other day in the grocery store Sunday, about 8 o'clock. I was getting some bread. And uh, I said, Tina, how are you doing? Anybody in your family sick? She said, no. I said, have you been vaccinated? She said, I just got my first shot. So things are changing down here. They're not going to change quickly to erase that problem, but now that you're really seeing this just rip through the communities, there is sort of a change happening, and the schools are uh, the schools are doing their best to cope with it. But I think it's it's I think it's a secondary issue to the vaccines, the mask mandates. I would say. 
All right, we have to take a break here, and we'll be back with uh, more armchair politics on the Tom Sumner program right after this. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can. Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wanky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. And where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County. Where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know 
a place where you never get harmed. A magical place with magical charms. Indoors, indoors, indoors. Take it away. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues now with our roundtable regulars, Paul uh, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by uh, former high-ranking government official and two presidential administrations, Mark Everson. Um, welcome back, everybody. Good to be here. Yep, thank you. Flint officials plan to start blending water from the Great Lakes Water Authority and Genesee County on Monday, August 23rd. The city announced in a news release Friday that the blending start date is subject to there being no issues with the pipeline connection work that happened over the weekend. Flint has completed construction of a $17 million connector pipeline allowing it to bring treated water from the county into the city's water system. The project is designed to give Flint a backup supply of water if service from uh, the Great Lakes Water Authority is disrupted in the future. In order to keep county water fresh and available in case of emergency, the city plans to blend 5% of the county water with 95% GLWA water, officials have said. The city said in the Friday news release that residents will continue to be updated regarding the progress of the blending project. Additional water monitoring will take place during the blending and later this year when valve replacement work on the primary water pipeline from GLWA is expected to take place. When that pipeline work occurs, the city will rely on the county for its treated water supply. Monitoring results are posted at michigan.gov excuse me, michigan.gov forward slash Flint Water. Flint Department of Public Works Director Michael Brown said earlier this month that he does not expect any difference in water quality, taste, or smell once the blending of water begins because both sources use water from Lake Huron and treat the water with a similar chemical mixture. When they refer to Genesee County water, are they avoiding saying that a percentage of regular water usage and Flint's backup water supply will be supplied by the Karanandi Water Authority? Hmm. I think it's either or, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. And I, I'm just thinking anytime anybody mentions the word water, people get nervous. <laughs> uh, because of the history of the last... Half dozen years. Well, there's been such there was such a fight over not using the KWA water. Yeah. Uh, when we went to GLWA, that uh, you know, I I don't think they really want anybody to notice that <laughs> we're going to end up using that water after all. That's right. That wasn't that was the initial plan, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't it? That would, when when they first began talking about Carignani, wasn't Flint supposed to be the one of the main customers on, on, on that system? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So. But as I say, anytime you mention the word water in Flint, people get nervous and uh, but, start but worrying I don't about think, the quality. But I don't think that they are commingle uh, co the sources of water and <clears throat> and feed Flint. It's got to be either or, so that there's absolute distinction with who you blame should you have an incident. But they are, in fact, going to blend it. And the yeah. rationale that they're, 
the the <laughs> rationale they're using. No, the the rationale they're using, Henry, is that they need to use some of the water to keep the water turning over, so that it always stays. Oh, I yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, but there are other. Uh, there's an opposing argument. How do you? If something goes wrong, uh, suddenly you get yeah, high you, levels who you of bacteria call. in the water. Yeah, who who you blame? Well, moving on, the Flint City lockup, which closed 17 months ago due to the coronavirus pandemic, is expected to reopen uh, Saturday. Genesee County Sheriff uh, Chris Swanson told area police chiefs of the reopening in a notice Thursday, August 19th, a move that could ease recent overcrowding in the county jail and help Flint cope with rising gun violence in the city. The memorandum from Swanson to police says any person arrested in the city of Flint on an original charge or outstanding warrant from Genesee District or Circuit Court may be lodged at the lockup. At least initially, only the Flint Police Department, Michigan State Police, the University of Michigan Flint Police Department, and Mott Community College Public Safety Department can lodge those they arrest in Flint. First opened in 1967, the lockup has been closed several times during the decades that followed, often because of city budget shortfalls. Various officials have called the facility a key to fighting crime here because it provides a place to hold those who have been arrested for up to 72 hours, providing a cooling-off period for them. Isn't the city lockup run by the county sheriff? I thought so. That was my impression, too, yeah. Does that mean the county will be funding the cost of the jail and not the city? You know, I... Now that you mention it, I often often thought that there might be an attempt to combine the city and the county police police powers together. I think that's happened in in Oakland County and Pontiac. And I, I got an email from somebody this past week suggesting that that in terms of dealing with the Flint Police Department and the crime issue in Flint and all the rest, maybe there ought to be something, a combined county-wide police force of some kind. I doubt that's going to go anywhere. But uh, but eventually we, we were going to get that because of the cost of doing business. I, we we I just don't have the tax base to support our structure. I think you're right. I think you're right, Henry. Yeah. Well, our our echo seems to be back in case anybody's I using a that, speaker yeah. phone or an earpiece uh, might might want to change that. But um, well, let's let's move on. This is kind of interesting. Matthew Smith Jr. wants uh, the Genesee County Health Department to remove the mask mandate. Smith, uh, the Genesee County Republican Party chairman and a Davison School Board member, said he wants to leave the decision. Uh, for if students choose to wear masks up to parents. Uh, Quote, the message today is real simple. Masks should be optional for students in Genesee County, and you, the parents, should be in control of your children's educational experience, Smith said. For those that want to wear masks, you have that right. We stand with you. But for those who want to send their kids to school without a mask, give them a choice. Let the parents decide. Should we take public health advice from an embattled head of a local political party? <laughs> I, I, I would we don't want politics so. anyway in, in this yeah. situation. And Matt has, a, has the right to say that because that's what he believes. But still, we or the health officials have to make decisions that's best for our children. 
best for our community. Yeah. And the reality is that if, if, you know, if you choose to wear a mask or not wear a mask, it's not just your health that's affected, it, particularly in a classroom. I mean, if a kid walks in without a mask, that's, there's the potential of affecting other kids and the instructors and anybody else in the building. So it really is, it's, it's not just an individual choice here. Um. Well, here's a couple of uh, related points. One is I'll just mention it casually. I'm not prepared to talk about it this week much, but recall petition language has been submitted or is being submitted to the county election board against Matt Smith. I saw that, yeah. Um, yeah. But here's, here's a related piece. There's just one person who can rescind the public health order requiring all K-6 through six students in the county to wear masks at school, according to County Prosecutor David Layton. Quote, it's the power given to the public health officer and only the public health officer, Layton said. There's nothing in the statute that gives the County Board of Health or County Board of Commissioners the power to do that. Medical health officer Dr. Pamela Hackard ordered all schools in the county on August 12th to enforce mask wearing for K-6 through students, teachers, and staff members regardless of vaccination status. The decision came as the county's COVID-19 case count, fueled by the spread of the Delta variant, started a slow but consistent rise this month. In the two weeks since the order was issued, the County Board of Health rejected a proposal to rescind Hackert's order and hundreds of protesters rallied against it. But Layton said even if the Health Board or the commissioners disagree with the mask mandate, the state public health code gives only Hackert the power to rescind her order. What happens if enforcement of, of that mask mandate in schools becomes an issue how, how does that um get uh dealt with and resolved it's dealt with right on the school campus by the parents they if they don't get 75 percent of their kids to go to school uh the state will not pay them would not give them the credit for that day and um paul you know point, about Henry, that yeah yeah, yeah. yeah it, it'll affect parents the funding in a lot of ways that's a good point Parents has, have awesome power and um, influence, and we have to be uh, cognizant of that. We, we don't want to disrupt our whole system. We have to tactfully work through this, and, uh, and parents will be on the deciding edge. And I have a hunch if we see, if we see a spike in the fall in, in schools, you're going to have a lot of parents who all of a sudden are going to pull their kids out of school or go virtual uh, as if, if things get worse come, you know, September or October. Yeah. Now, that's what you call the people. <laughs> if you want to use the sense of the people being involved and influencing yeah. public policy, you will find it on school boards and on school committees. But, but you make a good point that if, if those kids aren't there, it does going to affect the funding of the yeah. schools. Yeah. And in that context, the school boards especially have got a, yeah. a, a serious issue to deal with. And they better make sure that they stay on the right side of that issue because there will be recalls and disruptions and you know, superintendents who are trashed and stuff like right. that. You had completely disordered the education system. Well, in old business, Flint's massive loss of residents, we talked about this, I think, last week, during the last decade, obscured it, but outside of Genesee County's core city, 
more people moved into the area since 2010 than moved out, according to U.S. Census Bureau data. The county's overall population decreased by 4.6 percent from 2010 to 2020, uh, from 425 plus to 406,000. But removing Flint's loss of 21,000 people from the equation and adding strong growth in communities like Fenton and Grand Blanc Townships means the county's non-Flint population actually grew slightly from 323 to, uh, well, 323.3 to 324.9 in 2020. Do you think that rise of nearly 2,000 people in Genesee County were people shifting from Flint to the out county? That's generally what happened. Yeah, I think there's, I think there's a lot of that. I, I, uh, I mean, I, I've known a number of, of new hires at my college who came here, and very few of them chose to live in the city anymore. And when, when they came to town, they, they, their first choice was to live out in the county somewhere or, or on occasion beyond that, but in the out county. Um, so I know I, and like I said, I was, I was struck by this. Essentially, the whole loss of Genesee County was in the city of Flint, the 20,000 plus that we lost within the city. Well, what this, uh, what this story focused on was that if Flint were not in the equation, Genesee County's population actually grew by. That's right. Yeah. Well, the out county did. Well, in more old business, the city of Flint has a new interim chief financial officer. Mayor Sheldon Neely appointed Robert Whittigan, previously the uh, finance director of the city of Lansing, to the position. As CFO, Whittigan will oversee all, uh, all aspects of the city's finances. The position opened up at the beginning of August when former CFO Shelby Freyer left the position to pursue another opportunity. She had been in the role for less than six months. During a Flint City Council committee meeting on August 18th, Whittigan said he uh, started in the interim position on August 16th. He can remain interim for 90 days and must receive approval from the council to stay in that position after that. Do you think he'll get council approval within the 90 days and how long do you think he'll stay beyond that? Mm. I should mention that Rob, Rob, Rob is an ex-student ex of mine. I've known him for a long time, and I wish him the best. I, uh, with, with the friction between the council and the mayor, I, I hope he gets the approval, but I don't know. Well, and can they do it in the allotted time? That's right, yeah. <laughs> Given the council's habits, it may take longer than that. Well, yeah, based on how the council operates, it's a... It's a battle to the end. Somebody has to be crushed. Well, in, then, uh, in, in a somewhat uh, related vein, the head of Governor Gretchen Whitmer's budget team is leaving state government to become the chief financial officer at Wayne State University. Dave Masseron's resignation as state budget director comes less than one year after he joined the administration. Although the announcement of his departure comes before the governor and lawmakers have finalized a budget, Whitmer said he will stay with the administration through the end of the fiscal year in September. Before joining the Whitmer administration in December, Masseron worked as chief financial officer with the city of Detroit. At that time, Whitmer said Masseron was uniquely qualified and would use the position to help the state recover financially from the COVID-19 pandemic. 
Does it seem like there's a lot of turnover in top financial positions in local and state government? I think it does, and it says a lot about the financial stability of state and local governments, particularly these days. Um, but, but then, but then there's a lot of money out there that's granted to states by the federal government. There, and the government is going to be looking at everybody's pocketbooks, and they're going to be looking in to see where money is hidden, where there's double dipping and stuff like that of, of uh, departments in using this COVID money. And uh, so there's going to be a lot of pressure. You got to put people out there who will stand up for what they believe in and who will be honest. You can't hide money and you can't steal it. So there's a lot of opportunity and a lot of temptation. Mark, what's, uh, what's it like in uh, municipal and, and state government in Mississippi with top financial jobs? Do they stick around a while or is there a lot of turnover in those positions? Mark, are you with us? I'm sorry. I'd put us on. I'd put myself on mute. But uh, uh, I don't know the answer to that question. But let me respond to what Henry was saying because it's extremely relevant. If you look at the, um, the balance sheets, if you will, of a lot of states and municipalities, they have not suffered. They've uh, they've prospered somewhat during the pandemic. You've had. Uh, some of the states generating surpluses that were unexpected initially on the tax revenue. So, so, um, and then with all the money, the trillions of dollars is going out, that's going out the door. Uh, Henry's right. There's going to be a, a lot of focus on controls and how money has been spent. These are tough jobs right now. And because the, the municipalities want to shovel the money into projects, but, uh, some of it is going to be spent on wisely. Look at look at the unemployment insurance fraud that everybody's been talking about across the country. That has been a real issue. So the people who are doing the jobs of control, investigating things, they're they're betwixt and between because the policymakers want to get the money out quickly, but on the other hand, you can't afford to do it incorrectly. You know, I have one more thought on that, too. I'm struck by the fact that it seems like governing bodies of all kinds, whether it's city councils or school boards, uh, are getting more contentious, and very often the person who's, on, who's in the middle of the crossfire is the chief financial officer. So the, the pressure is probably greater on those individuals than it had been in years past. And on organizations, you know, organizations can lose their reputation and they could be displaced by others who were in competition with them for the same services to be provided. So they have to be careful because organizations are here to serve people over the long run. And we don't want organizations failing because they have been dishonest with the revenue. You can never, you can never recover from that. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a tough job, and, and tougher than it used to be, I think. So maybe, for sure, some of those individuals, maybe they found life in the private sector was a, a little more peaceful. <laughs> and, I think it gets in part to what you have talked about uh, when I've been on the show, at least. When you look at, I don't think Flint is that unusual in terms of 
Uh, you talk about the contentious uh, nature of the difference between the executive and then the people who are on the council, and the same thing's true at the state levels. Uh, these jobs, if you're on the staff, you're you're in the crosshairs uh, more than was the case perhaps 10 or 20, 30 years ago. So, yeah, I think it's it's a tougher job than it was. And I, I think Paul's right that the, uh, you know, the, the finance director at a, whether it's in local government or state government, is, is really the one stuck in the middle. I think that's right. I think you are, uh, he is right, yeah. They get, to, they get to blame for, for some of the tough decisions that have to be made. Yep. Yep. Well, let's see. Uh, I'm not sure if we're going to have time to get this one all in, but I'll go ahead. Well, and, I got a quick one for yeah, you. Uh, go ahead, Mark. Uh, well, I, uh, who said, I thought this would be covered in your, in your quotations, who said, where's my drummer? <laughs> um, the Rolling Stones? No, I was say, yeah. that was a big yeah, joke. I would say that. Mick Jagger said it about Charlie Watts, who just died. Oh. And Charlie, Charlie Watts uh, didn't like being called Mick's drummer, so he decked him. <laughs> that was that was in the obituary today, but uh, oh, that's good. I, I, I saw the headlines. I haven't had a chance to read up, but I did see a uh, video clip of uh, Charlie Watts, who was always kind of low key, um, actually dressing very outlandishly and outshining the rest of the band for a particular photo op that that was drawing attention. The effect that he didn't yeah, usually it's, do that. It's very, very interesting. I read the obituaries today, and, um, you know, a lot of the real rock and roll people like Springsteen said, you know, if, if Watts hadn't played uh, the drums and kept the beat on songs like Satisfaction or Paint It Black, he would, the Stones wouldn't have been who they were. Well, and a lot of times when you look at some of those songs, they seem um, a little bit simplistic from a... Uh, percussionist standpoint and, and Ringo Starr and the Beatles used to get this uh, criticism often and then you listen to some un, unusual piece like uh, um, from the Stone Sympathy for the Devil and the percussion work is really pretty intricate and pretty amazing so he was a much better drummer than a lot of people uh, would initially give him credit for Interesting. Yeah. and a great lover of jazz Right, right. That's what I've heard, yes. Yeah. Well, that takes us almost to the break, Mark. Thanks for sticking that in, because this next piece would have run a little bit longer. And I really didn't have anything in my notes about Charlie Watts. I just saw the headline this morning and hadn't had a chance to read up on it at, at all. Um, but uh, we are going to take a break. We'll be back with uh, more of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program featuring uh, our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, this week joined by Mark Everson. And it's this was a double treat for me today because I always look forward to uh, talking with Mark. And uh, in the first hour of the show this morning, we had uh, Michigan Supreme Court Justice Richard Bernstein. So I told Sandy last night that uh, today's show was going to be doubly great because Mark was on and we had the Bernstein advantage. Um which is a little joke You're about that. Oh, boy. You are so cool. <laughs> <laughs> 
And, and I, I actually told that joke to uh, Richard this morning. But uh, we're going to take a short break, let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well, so don't touch that dial, don't click that mouse. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. While we've been staying safe at home, Scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. Objection. I object. I object to that, Your Honor. Oh, hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just um, Attorney General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So listen, we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam. Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, Report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. 
Okay, all right. And Dina, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues now with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Mark Everson. And uh, I feel like uh, I need to let Mark in a little bit on the uh, Bernstein advantage joke that I, that I made before yeah. the break because um, the uh, my guest was uh, Michigan Supreme Court Justice uh, Richard Bernstein and his family. Um, he he has are all lawyers attached to the uh, Sam Bernstein law firm in Farmington Hills, and um, Sam Bernstein runs television ads in very heavy rotation around the state of Michigan, and their slogan is "Get the Bernstein Advantage." And I see. So it, it in making that reference, it was kind of a throwback to uh, Richard's days with the family law firm. Um, but it, that, by the way, that is a very interesting interview, and and I suspect he will be back uh, several times. Um, he, he's such an interesting guy. He's uh, the first uh, blind person ever elected to the Michigan Supreme Court, and um, and he was just recently over in the Middle East. In fact, while a lot of people were working remotely from home, he was working remotely from Dubai and then from Israel. And he was working with special needs considerations and efforts uh, with the UN. Yeah, it sounds like you could have gone on for two hours this morning with him, Tom. Uh, yeah, I, I I feel like we just scratched the surface, and I I have a feeling he'll he'll be back soon, because we talked about so many things from you know being blind and getting through law school, it, to you know working in the Middle East and and working remotely from there, not being able to use Zoom, and uh, and then we talked about you know Supreme Court stuff too. <laughs> Can I just tell you a little story about? Uh, uh, Judge uh, Bernstein, that I recall? Sure. Very quickly. Well, you know, Kyle uh, sued uh, the gun supporters that wanted to introduce guns into uh, school districts. And we uh, didn't uh, want that to happen to Kyle schools. And so Kyle. You were were challenging, as as I remember. Henry, just to put it in perspective, you were challenging a court ruling that had said that school property was not exempt in any way from open carry laws. Yes. And so I noticed the arguments by all of the justices, and particularly Judge Bernstein. And I developed a lot of respect and admiration for him because he hit the nail on the head and the target it. And it passed that court ruling. <clears throat> the court made a ruling then <clears throat> that um, that that uh, Clio schools and and Arbor schools, which was co-jointly um, bringing a case before the court, uh, would not have guns authorized on the property. 
Except I recall by police, that. I recall that except case. by the police or other authorized personnel, but not by anybody who comes onto the property and brings a gun and introduces that gun in a classroom or in the halls or on the property. And uh, of course, that ruling still holds today. So, right. and I remember that about uh, Mr. Bernstein and his elegance in supporting our cause. Well, Michigan's Redistricting Commission on Thursday approved a process and scheduled to draft, propose, and ultimately adopt congressional and legislative maps by year's end. The 10-2 vote came after commissioners changed course and decided to initially bounce between crafting U.S. House, State Senate, and State House districts rather than go one at a time. The schedule calls for drafting to begin Friday and end October 8th when the 13-member panel of four Democrats, four Republicans, and five with no party affiliation will publish draft maps, potentially multiple options for review. Then nine public hearings will be held from October 11th through the 28th. After six days of deliberations, the commission will vote on proposed maps November 5th. It could post multiple maps per district type. The recommendation is for no more than two each for Congress, the State Senate, and State House, Executive Director Suzanne uh, Hammersmith said. A 45-day public comment period will start November 14th. The panel could finalize district lines as early as December 30th, though the 45-day period would restart if it makes revisions. The December 30th target is two months after a November 1st deadline in the state constitution, which could spark lawsuits. The process has been slowed because census data was delayed six months due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Could lawsuits delay putting the new districts in place before the 2022 election or the 2024 presidential election? I can see that as a real possibility. Because, like it, you know, I mean, as we get into 20, the beginning of 2022, candidates are going to have to decide where they're running and what districts are out there. And I can see some real problems for the candidates for fundraising. And, you know, and I say I can see lawsuits from all kinds of directions on dissatisfied parties complaining about their, their district. So I, I think there's, there's a real possibility there. I think that one of the questions here is going to be is how aggressive is the Biden Justice Department going to be when some of the congressional districts are redrawn in? Hello? Yeah, hello. You're, you're here. We're here, Henry. Okay. Oh, maybe. Yeah, in there. Can you I'm hear sorry, us? Can you hear, can you pick up what I said? Yeah, no, I heard you, Mark. Can you I hear me? Yeah, we Hello? can hear you, Henry. Can you hear us? Can you hear us, Henry? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, can you hear me? Yeah. So we can. Yes, yeah, we can. You're coming okay, fine. Okay. And Mark, you were coming through fine as well. Yeah, okay. And go ahead okay. with Thank what you. you were saying about Thank the you. Biden Justice Department. Yeah, what I was just saying is I think it'll be really very interesting to see how aggressive the Biden Justice Department is on challenging some of the uh, lines that will be drawn. Will they get involved in that or not? Because, you know, this is voting rights and voting issues are uh, have been a very important priority for uh, for really for both parties, if you will. And and uh, so I do think that everybody's right when they say this, this. Some of these issues could take a while to, to sort out. 
Well, in his first um, Michigan endorsement for the 2022 elections, former President Donald Trump has expressed his support for Republican State Senate candidate Jonathan Lindsay. Lindsay, a Special Forces veteran living in Brooklyn, Michigan, is running in what is now considered the 16th Senate District. The district's makeup could change ahead of the 2022 election during Michigan's redistricting process. Senate Mo- Majority Leader Mike Shirky, Republican from Clark Lake, represents the district but is term limited and cannot seek re-election. Can a Trump endorsement help or hurt in this race? And will redistricting change that answer? I think the answer to the last question is yes. I mean, depending on the district, it may be a dramatically different district, uh, one way or the other. Maybe more, more Republican or less Republican, more Democratic. And the Trump, the Trump endorsement could mean an awful lot to help or hurt a candidate, given the looks of the new, the new district. Yeah, and, and you know, I I think uh, the situation and with the Middle East and how we are fading there fast, and I think that people are um, looking at the situation in this country um, that the president, our current president, has allowed to happen, uh, and they're they're beginning to be apprehensive about that. So that pushes the Trump uh, aura up higher in the minds of people who are likely to support Trump. Uh, and uh, many of them are Democrats, dissident Democrats and independents. So we'll see what happens, and that could affect, uh, and I know that there's also a race going on in Georgia with Herschel Walker and Warnock, which is uh, Trump's, uh, he's got the endorsement of Trump, and this is going to look like an interesting race. Do you think Warnock is uh, vulnerable because he's a first-timer? I think he's vulnerable because I think that American people want to, in general, see some differences in uh, coming out of uh, communities of color uh, and not uh, dominant, um, one-sided interests but to see them look like the American people look like. I was going to say, Henry, do you see the re- here in Michigan, do you see the Republican Party becoming more and more the Trump Party, as we've seen? And I understand in Genesee County there was basically a purge of all the non-Trump Republicans in the local party. Is that happening in other counties and other parts of the state? Well, I, I don't know. I think that there's a lot of apprehension about people because there were a lot of people in Michigan that did not like Trump initially, and we had tremendous uh, division in the party, uh, not only from elected officials, but also from uh, the people who have governance over uh, and jurisdiction over uh, voting areas. Yeah, yeah I mean, my they, understanding is that the, the election of Matthew Smith and, and others was pretty much almost a, a pro-Trump purge of, of the local party here in Genesee County. And yeah, again, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know how widespread that is or if it's just something going on here in the local county. I don't really want to comment on that. I don't want to get involved in that. But uh, I would <laughs> think that that's going to affect a lot in this county because that system has not been resolved yet. Well, we have to break like, here for the top of the hour ID, but... We're gonna. You've already brought up Afghanistan, and I'm sure we're going to talk about that in the uh, 
second half of armchair politics coming up after the break. Mark, um, do you need to step out? I'm I'm going to be okay. I think that I I've reached my destination, so hopefully the static will end, and then I need about five minutes. But that ought to coincide with the break. So all right, um, so, all right please come back. We so, need you. Sounds good. We'll uh, continue <laughs> right Alexander after Zodic. this. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner.